Radio Free Mormon. Uh, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you. What did Bill, you how are you? Ending endorsement there from Christopher Walken. I know. It's amazing. The people who listen to this show. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. There's there are lots of well-known folks who listen. Uh, Christopher's up there in years, but we still respect him as a talented actor. I love him. The first movie I ever saw him in was uh, The Dead Zone. Stephen King. The Dead Zone. And somebody here says we need more cowbell, which is <laughs> Christopher Walken suggested on one of the famous Saturday Night Live skits. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So tonight, Mormonism Live. Uh, by the way, I just want to show this. Logan Tatham uh, became a YouTube member. You can become a YouTube member, too. There's nothing stopping you other than going to YouTube and becoming a member. So so go do it because it's cool to do. Uh, awesome. Logan so, did it. What's that? Logan did it. Logan did it. So everybody should be doing it. Um, that's the way it should go. So tonight on Mormonism Live, we thought we'd do a couple of cool things. There's three particular audio clips that I wanted to show and talk about. And then you wanted to connect a few dots on some other places uh, to those. And so uh, let's get a couple other things out of the way. Obviously, folks, uh, we're going to do it every time. I, I feel bad. We'll mix it up where it goes so that you can't just skip it when you're watching or listening. But we do need donations to make this show continue. If you can go to mormonismlive.org, send us five bucks a month. It doesn't take much. Just something that makes it worth it. Uh, and we'll do this for years to come. Uh, we have, uh, we'll have no problem coming up with topics uh, as you pick every other week and then I pick every other week. And gives us a fun chance to kind of share a little bit of our personality and the things that interest us. Um, but Logan, thank you for becoming a member. Folks, go to mormonismlive.org, click the donate button, and donate today. So today, uh, I mentioned three clips. Uh, before I go into any of these, do you have any thoughts, anything you want to say to us before we do it? I just wanted to say that you and I and some other people met up down in St. George, your neck of the woods, over the weekend. Yeah, that was and a ton of fun. I had a great time. I met a lot of wonderful people. I wanted to thank them for their kindness, their courtesy, their hospitality. It was a wonderful time, and I'm really glad I got to meet everybody. Um, I did want to mention one thing, though, because there was something that happened that was significant to me personally, and it happened Friday night. I got there Friday around noon. You and I hung out around your house for a while that afternoon, but then we met up with everybody at an Indian restaurant. Yeah, Red Fort. Yes, yes, yes. And um, so we all had a great dinner. We got some place to go afterward. Um, it was back to your house, actually. And so everybody's traveled a long way to get there. And we're out in the parking lot. And by this time, there's me, there's John Lynn, there's, um, well, there's you, there's your boss, there's, uh, hang on, who's the tall, bald, good-looking guy? Alan Mount. <laughs> Sorry, I just the oh, name my, slipped my mind for a I'm second. Show up in the comments here really soon. Oh boy, I'll bet. Um, anyway, and and Sam Young had joined us by that point, and yeah. Randy Bell was there as well. So there's a bunch of guys out there in the parking lot, and we're just sort of there briefly. And we've got a hatchback open, and there's all the snacks inside, and I think we're just sort of talking about okay, who's going to go in what car? And while we're out there in the parking lot, it's evening, uh, still light in the sky. This lady walks by through the parking lot. I don't know where she was going or where she was coming from. And she ends up saying hi to John. And John's more out in the parking lot. I'm kind of over by where the snacks are at the hatchback. And we're all sort of just in different uh, 
patterns out there in the parking lot, all seven of us or so. And this lady starts talking to John DeLynn. He starts talking to her. And uh, this lady whose name I'm not going to mention, she was, um, uh, she didn't know John from Adam. I don't think she knew any of us. And we certainly didn't know her. Right. And I am watching John DeLynn and he's talking to this lady. And this lady is, um, well, she's had a lot of hard knocks in her life, but she hasn't let him get him, get her down. And she wants to talk about them and be like really open about them with a, a bunch of complete strangers. Right. But she keeps talking and, and John DeLynn keeps listening and engaging. And I'm over there by the car and I'm looking at my watch and I'm going, come on, come on, let's wrap this up. Let's say, OK, nice to meet you. Let's go. Yeah. And but John's not doing that. He keeps talking and talking and talking. And I'm just going, my gosh, come on. And it must have been 15 minutes, I think, that he's talking to her. And John, and John DeLynn is the one primarily doing the talking. I don't know if everybody else is feeling the same way I, I am or if I'm just the only not nice person in the bunch. But finally, it's like 15 minutes into this. And John DeLynn says, OK, everybody, let's give her a group hug. Yeah. So we all kind of, you know, hug, hug her in a big circle, you know, and she's in the middle. And th this huge smile came over this lady's face. She appreciated it so, so much. And at one and the same time, I had two very strong feelings. The first strong feeling I had was I was ashamed of myself for being so mean and so impatient and so, you know, me. <laughs> but I was also very impressed with John DeLynn because this isn't somebody who was going to get uh, he was gonna, who's going to give him anything or he was going to get anything out of this other than just listening to another human being in a parking lot on a Friday night where he had other places to go and things to do. And I was very impressed with that. And that made a real impression on me personally. I don't know if I'll be able to follow his example, if I'll become any less me, but it certainly left its mark. And I wanted to quote the final lines from a Rudyard Kipling poem, a rather famous poem in honor of John DeLynn. May I do that? And then we'll yeah. get on. Okay, John, I hope you're listening. Though I've belted you and flayed you by the living God that made you, you're a better man than I am, John DeLynn. I love it. And he was. He was so kind to her. And, you know, we all kind of had a chance to kind of share a little bit of our story. And she talked. She was really actually a, quite a nuanced member. Um, and we, you know, she gave, you know, he gave us time to kind of tell her uh, our story gave her time to tell us her story. He really facilitated what I thought was a beautiful human interaction. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Without further ado, and I mean ado in the Book of Mormon sense. Um, <laughs> you have, Thank you, Jacob. Do you have anything else before we jump to video number one? No, I just want to tell that story publicly in hopes of humiliating at the same time as honoring John DeLynn. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, okay, so I'm going to put up on the screen, and we'll play it first, and then we'll talk about it. Um, and maybe we need to set this up a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, let's put it up here on the screen. The the person, if you see my cursor, that lady right there, that lady is Bonnie Cordon. She is in the Young Women's General Presidency. Her husband is Derek Cordon. And if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, he worked for um, – Oh my goodness! I have it here. Let me look. At Does my it start with a B? No, it's oh, it's Omniture. So he worked with a company called Omniture. I don't know what they did, 
But the cool thing about them is uh, it, he, he served uh, in that company, I think, a little bit in the higher up kind of part of the company. This company is, was a mover and a shaker as a young company, and they had something really cool happen, which we'll get into here after the video clip. Let me, uh, let me play this piece, and then you and I can talk about it. We ought to talk about here in the time that we have. Sister Corden. Is this is now this is kind of a cultural question. We're we're talking to Western Europe, Eastern Europe, UK, Africa. We're, we're talking to a lot of people. Well, we're talking to more than that by the time that's just in English. Uh, and then we translate into so many languages. So this is kind of a cultural question, but I think it's the one we ought to talk about. A lot of questions about marriage. A lot of questions about dating. Is it a bad idea to get married before you have a good amount of savings in the bank? You and Derek didn't have any money in the bank. <laughs> you we don't have any money now. We don't have any money now. <laughs> so let me start by. Why do you find that amusing? <laughs> why do you find that people who are struggling to get by funny? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Funny, not funny like a clown, like funny how? I don't know. But it just um, seems like you're laughing at a woman who doesn't have any money now. She said yeah. so. What, what I know is, in fact, let me uh, see if I can move this. And while you're moving it, Bill? Yeah. Oh, okay. You've already got it. Go ahead. Yeah, this is Omniture was bought out by Adobe for $1.8 this Derek Cordone served as a mission president. Uh, this family is not struggling. This family is not poor. And when these two elder Holland saying, Hey, you don't have any money and you don't have any money now. And she goes, Oh, I don't have any money now. And, and they're talking, he admits they're talking to the African saints among other groups too. Mm. But these are really poor people among the audience in places. And what he's doing is making a joke. That's not going to be picked up by the crowd, but because most people, most Mormons don't know their leaders. They especially don't know their women leaders, right? They don't know what uh, track these families came from, the places these families have worked and the kind of money they have. But Derek Cordone is probably, and if, if I, I bet I'm closer to the truth than Elder Holland and, and his wife, Bonnie, but I'm guessing that he's somewhere in the line of millionaire. Uh, has a lot of significant wealth, and yet here's Bonnie telling Elder Holland first, telling the general audience that Bonnie doesn't have any money, and then Bonnie goes ahead and follows the cue, and she admits that she doesn't, you know, have any money either. Um, the reality is these two probably have a lot of money. It, it struck me, and it, it over when this was shared with us, it was in a text group that you and I are in, and uh, another personality. Uh, he might be a thinker of thoughts. Uh, pointed out this. I want to ask the question, Bill. What hmm. else would somebody think? What uh, only thoughts, right? Yeah, it and, seems like a redundant title. And according to Buddhism, you're not your thoughts anyway. Yeah, so, I'm just saying. Yeah. In case he's listening, right? No, Streeter does watch this from time to time. So, Streeter, thank you for the information. I, I just wanted to put out there. I, Bonnie's definitely not poor, and she's certainly not as poor as majority of the audience she's speaking to. Why do you think they do things like this, RFM? Well, a million dollars doesn't buy what it used to. Let's all admit that, okay? That's true, and a nickel's not worth a dime anymore. <laughs> but but here comes this question, right? And it's always the same question because it's always on the minds of young people 
about, you know, we're getting all this pressure from the church to date, to get married. And we know we're supposed to get married and we're supposed to get married as fast as we can after we get back from the mission, right? Because that's priority number one for yeah. the guys. Then you get back, you get married as fast as you can. You start pumping out those Mormon babies as fast as you can after that. And because of that, the question is always being brought up. You can't actually watch one of these young adult devotionals where there's questions without having this question brought up. And so the answer, we know what the answer is from the church. The answer is, it doesn't make any difference what your financial situation is. You get married as fast as you can. You start having as many babies as you possibly can, and God will provide. Now, apparently they're getting savvy enough to where they don't want to actually say it in those words. So they use other words to say it. And apparently they're going to actually stretch the truth a bit here. I'm sorry. I, I will shut up here in a second. They're going to stretch the truth here a bit because they're the examples, right? They're the examples of doing this when they didn't have any money. And Sister Gordon's going to say something else here soon about uh, having enough money to get the baby out of the hospital. I'm not sure how that works, but all these kinds of things to show that actually they are or were when they were married, very, very low income, trying to get by as best they can. But they're going forward in faith and doing what the Lord requires them to do through the church leaders. OK, end of sermon. What do you got there? Well, this is uh, when he was called as a mission president, uh, Derek Lane Cordone, 46. By this time, I am assuming the buyout happened because he's listed as the director of Omniture in Adobe Company. So the buyout's already occurred. He is the director of Omniture. Whatever that position is, it does sound important, and it sounds like some serious cash would have come into his hand with that buyout. Um, and, and even if it didn't, when you sit in front of a camera and you tell people you don't have money, it, what you mean is something different than being the director of Omniture and Adobe Company. Right. And I, I have no idea what their financial status or setup was way back when they got married or anything. Right. right. I think uh, I don't know. But let's just say that uh, they were scraping to get by. Uh, I think the problem was, was where she went along with the joke from Elder Holland and put it in the present tense, like you pointed out. I don't have any money. Right. I don't have any money. And she agrees right with them. How many, how, how poor do you think people are that are generally called into the top 15? Oh, well, usually they're, they're very uh, well to do. They've made their name in business or heart surgery or whatever profession it is. The, uh, the exceptions to that are, are few and far between. I think elder Boyd K. Packer was an exception to that uh, coming up through CES. I think that, um, I, uh, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to remember his name. He was a missionary to the Maoris uh, back in the 19, I don't know, 30s or 40s. And I'm not even remembering his name now. It'll come to me. But he said in a talk that it was a good thing that he got called to be an apostle because he was just on the verge of going on church welfare. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, no, usually they're very, very well to do. Right. And they're people who could retire uh, comfortably at the time they get called as an apostle. Yeah. So that's the first one. It's, it, you know, maybe it's a nothing, maybe they get church assistance, maybe they're using the Bishop storehouse, who knows, but that one did catch our eye uh, about a week and a half ago or so. Um, I'm getting ready to go into the second one. Do you have any other comments on this little clip here? Uh, actually I will here in a second, but uh, well, you want to go to the other one because yet my comment has to do with um a conference talk and the use of the word culture. 
Yeah, I, I was going to play the Holland one uh, next where he talks about that. So let's play that part. Let me put my two cents in and then let's have you uh, share some of the insights you found as you were getting ready for this episode. So uh, let's put it here and let's uh, let's play this for the audience. But by the way, I probably should set this up too. I don't want to I don't want to throw this off. So numerous times, RFM, we have had conversations where we have talked about how the church is always playing catch up. And uh, we've told each other over the phone and I hear it all the time in post-Mormonism, ex-Mormonism, that the brethren and the church, because that's a collective entity there, they are always on social issues specifically, specifically, but that's also very deeply connected to their doctrines around, say, people of color women's suffrage, LGBT issues, uh, handling apostates, uh, all of those kinds of things. The church is constantly playing catch up with the world. The world does its thing, and the church then comes along and adapts and ends up being right where the world was 30 or 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And for the first time ever, I got this message from inside the church. Here it is. Here's kind of what happens. Uh, the world is here, and and we're more we're more conservative here, and we we we're we're not going to do what the world does, you know, live together or 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 never get married or whatever. But as as the world progresses, cultures change. They go here, and then we go here, and then they go here, and we go here, and. And before long, you look up and we're perilously close where, where, where we would never have thought to be before. So let's uh, stay fixed on gospel principles and not cultural uh, issues and not the societal uh, commitments of the time. I've can, can you believe he said that? It was shocking. <laughs> he just admitted that the church is always playing catch up and it's always behind. Now, you and I grew up being told that the world was wicked, the world was lost and fallen, and that church principles and doctrine were eternal, and that the world was wicked and fallen, so the church would never do what the world does. And here's Elder Holland telling you that wherever the world goes, we'll get there eventually. We won't do a few of the things it does, but mark my words, give it time. <laughs> Anything that it claimed 100 years ago it wouldn't do that the world does, it's doing now. And uh, and it essentially admitted it's always playing catch up from behind. Is that not what he just said? Well, it is what he said. But I've got to say, I really don't think that's what he meant, whether it was Freudian or not. I mean, he's not going off a teleprompter. The teleprompter is his friend, which you would think he would have realized after that BBC interview a few years back. But the problem is, is that uh, I'm sure, I, I feel in my heart that what he meant was, this is not what we do. We don't do this, in spite of the fact that obviously any impartial observer of LDS history knows that that's exactly what the church does. Uh, I think he must have meant that because it's just beyond belief to me that he would actually say the words that he said and mean the words as he said them. Yeah, I I could play it again, but and this is where you and I, I think debated. Why don't I back up just a touch here and uh, play a little bit more of this? And, and listen, because you're also going to hear the cultural in here again. He says it over and over in this segment. Yeah. I wonder whether, you know, when is it right? When is it time? Um, 
and and the Lord will bless the Lord will bless us. But we can certainly say He is for marriage. He is for families. He does love children. And uh, and culturally, here's kind of what happens: uh, the world is here, and and we're more we're more conservative here, and we we we're we're not going to do what the world does, you know, live together or 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 never get married or whatever. But as as the world progresses, cultures change. They go here and then we go here and then they go here and we go here. And and before long, you look up and we're perilously close where 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 we would never have thought to be before. So let's uh, stay fixed on gospel principles and not cultural uh, issues and not the societal uh, commitments of the time. You don't think he's talking about the church? Oh, I think he's talking about the church. I just think he means the exact opposite of what he's saying. I don't. I think he's admitting that it's that it's, you know, the church always ends up where the world was and (laughs) playing catch up. As um, evidence for my position, I will I will note he says, and before you know it, we're perilously close. <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. That to me is insane. I'll I'll share this clip in the source, uh, the, the episode notes. I certainly don't want to take him out of context. I'm gonna hold my ground. Oh. I am adamant that he is talking about the church and that he is intending to say, look, we're always gonna be more conservative than the world, but we'll get there eventually. We just have a lot of catch up to play all the time. And uh, I, I can't understand it any other way. And I've watched this entire thing more than once. I will tell you, you're not taking him out of context. Elder Holland took himself out of context. <laughs> I don't think he meant to say it either way. No, absolutely not. He's probably looking back at that and going, oh, oh my gosh, I said it. And you kind of feel like that as he gets towards the second half of what he's saying, because he starts yes. stuttering and stammering. And he it's like he's second guessing it and doesn't know how to get himself out of the hole. He just dug himself <laughs> so here. He says he's basically telling the audience, don't worry about these cultural things that we're doing. Uh, we, we you know, we're going to change. We'll shift. We'll move over time. Uh, so don't don't get too fixated on whatever cultural hiccups you perceive. What were some of your thoughts uh, in that part in that part? I should say. Uh, is it okay for me to go to these other links that I, I looked yeah, at? By all means. I, I may have, I may need a timestamp on them, and I may need to know which link we're talking about, but I do have them up. Okay, great. So here's the thing is that Jonathan Streeter and I have been doing a few segments on General Conference. And not this last General Conference, but the General Conference before, once in the Saturday morning session and once in the Saturday afternoon session, all of a sudden we have multiple people talking about this idea of a church culture and how this is the best culture in the world and we need to stick with the church culture even when it contradicts with other ideas from other cultures and let me pause a second which is which video are you going to want to go to next and what's the timestamp so that while you're giving the context i can get us on cue okay it's october 2020 general conference saturday morning session from elder cook from his talk hearts knit in unity and righteousness Okay. And he was the first person who talked about it. And this is timestamp 11.08. And it will go for a couple of minutes to 13.16. But listen to what he has to say. And the reason this struck me is not only are we hearing it multiple times, it's something that I don't recall having heard before this. Now, maybe it was and I missed it, but I've been pretty, <laughs> I've been pretty detailed on most of the recent general conferences, uh, but it could have slipped by me. 
but all of a sudden now they're talking about church culture. It's as if there's a memo that went around. And the thing is, if you listen to it, they talk in, theor in theory about if your culture contradicts church culture, then you need to adopt church culture. But they never give any examples of what it is they're talking about. It seems to sort of be left in the air. And Jonathan Streeter and I try to come up with ideas about what they might be talking about. Uh, tea. Okay, that's an obvious example. They don't bring it up. But if you've got that, uh, do you have that from Elder Cook right now? I do. I, there he is, right. Okay, so if we listen to him for a couple minutes, listen to all this talk about culture. Not one, you're not mine. Our church culture comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The epistle of the apostle Paul to the Romans is profound. The early church in Rome was composed of Jews and Gentiles. These early Jews had a Judaic culture and had won their emancipation and began to multiply and flourish. The Gentiles in Rome had a culture with a significant Hellenistic influence, which the Apostle Paul understood well because of his experiences at Athens and Corinth. Paul sets forth the gospel of Jesus Christ in a comprehensive fashion. He chronicles pertinent aspects of both Judaic and Gentile culture that conflict with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He essentially asks each of them to leave behind cultural impediments from their beliefs and culture that are not consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul admonishes the Jews and the Gentiles to keep the commandments, love one another, and that righteousness leads to salvation. The culture of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a Gentile culture or a Judaic culture. It is not determined by the color of one's skin or where one lives. While we rejoice in distinctive cultures, we should leave behind aspects of those cultures that conflict with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our members and new converts often come from diverse racial and cultural backgrounds. If we are to follow President Nelson's admonition to gather scattered Israel, we will find we are as different as the Jews and Gentiles were in Paul's time. Yet we can be united in our love of and faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's epistle to the Romans establishes the principle that we follow the culture and doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the model for us even today. The ordinances of the temple unite us in special ways and allow us to be you unmute yourself. No wonder you couldn't hear me. That's all right. So what do you what do you think he's saying there, and how can we connect that to what Elder Holland just said? Well, we're going to talk about him. Then we're going to talk about another speaker who really went overboard on church culture in the Saturday afternoon session of last October 2020 General Conference. But, but it's not clear. And number one, I happen to be, I think, acquainted enough with the New Testament to realize that he is playing fast and loose with Paul. Paul was the guy, I mean, Romans is the book that Protestant Christianity uses to teach salvation by grace alone, right? Right. And Paul is not somebody who says, okay, your culture conflicts with the culture of Jesus Christ. He was one who went out and embraced different cultures and was largely instrumental in making Christianity such a vibrant religion. If it hadn't been for Paul, Christianity would likely be a footnote in the history of Judaism today. 
So I, I won't get into all this Pauline stuff, but he's not about uh, don't do your culture. He's about bring it in because it doesn't matter. The only times that he would get uh, down on cultural things, whether it's Judaism or Gentile, is if following that cultural thing made other people doubt. Right. Mm. Okay. And, you know, if, if it's about circumcision, he's fine with circumcision. Go ahead and be circumcised. He doesn't care. The only thing he really, really didn't like, look at Galatians, is that um, if you taught that circumcision was essential to being right with God, that was what really hacked him off. Okay. So anyway, so I know that um, Elder Cook's being fast and loose with Paul, but he's trying to do it to make a point, which is culture, culture, culture. Could he have said it any more times in that brief two-minute excerpt? I don't know. But if we can go to, do you want me to uh, tell you about this other one? I'm just curious. You're talking about circumcision. When they did circumcision, I don't know if like person after person walked up and they cut the skin off and then it like dropped into like a bucket or something. But I'm wondering what they used those for. I mean, maybe it was before the invention of rubber bands and that's what they wrap broccoli with. <laughs> okay. I just thought I was being funny. Go ahead. I've got this. I've got the clip. I, I don't know whether to laugh or to vomit. <laughs> and I'm afraid if I do the former, I'll end up doing the latter. Enough, yeah, probably enough from enough from me. So here's the other clip, and I've got the 30 second mark picked out. I think they used them for like those puka necklaces, or what are those called? Yeah, yeah, or like I don't know, maybe it was like I don't, yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna say anymore. I'll probably get myself in trouble if you don't yeah. laugh. Jokes that I worry the audience isn't laughing either. <laughs> okay, so this is Elder. Let's see, Jackson. This is Elder Action Jackson. No, it's William K. Jackson. The, and it's his talk is titled The Culture of Christ. This is what his whole talk is about. And we're just going to give you a couple of samplings of this. The first one is from 0 0.30 to 1.06 timestamp in his talk. And then we'll have a second quote after that. It may seem that culture is so heavily embedded in our thinking and behavior that it is impossible to change. It is, after all, much of what we feel defines us and for which we feel a sense of identity. It can be such a strong influence that we can fail to see the man-made weaknesses or flaws in our own cultures, resulting in a reluctance to throw off some of the traditions of our fathers. An overfixation on one's cultural identity may lead to the rejection of worthwhile, even godly ideas, attributes, and behavior. Okay, so there's the first one. It's like he's mirroring. Elder Cook's talk from the morning before, right? Right. And so, but now he's going to go on. He's saying, you know, if it conflicts, reject, because the culture of Christ, the culture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not just uh, like Kishi. It's actually the best culture that's ever been. And this is timestamp 2.16 to 3.14. So just a little bit less than a minute. In most man-made cultures, there is found both good and bad constructive and destructive. Many of our world's problems are a direct result of clashes between those of differing ideas and customs arriving from their culture. But virtually all conflict and chaos would quickly fade if the world would only accept its original culture, the one we all possessed not so very long ago. This culture dates back to our pre-mortal existence. It was the culture of Adam and Enoch. It was the culture founded on the Savior's teachings in the meridian of time, 
and it is available to all women and men once again in our day. It is unique. It is the greatest of all cultures and comes from the great plan of happiness authored by God and championed by Christ. It yeah. unites rather than divides. It heals rather than harms. Okay, there you go. The, the culture of the LDS church is greater than the culture of the ancient Greeks. It's greater than the culture of the Romans, largely derivative from the Greeks. It's greater than any culture that's ever existed in the history of the world, Bill Real. That's how great this culture now, is. You're, you're a cultured person. You are very well read in classical literature. You're very familiar with Shakespeare and the plays that he's written. You are uh, very aware of music all through the uh, past generations, uh, as you've made many references to songs that I've never even heard. Those are my generation. Yeah, you've quoted all of those things on the spot. What do you think about LDS culture compared to all of these great world cultures that have existed? I think uh, the LDS, I think there actually is a culture that exists in the LDS church, but it is, I mean, it's subjective, right? But it's far inferior to, I don't know, pretty much any other culture you might want to name. What are the great things that have come out of LDS culture that have affected the world? Uh, the radio? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you this too. When I, I was, I put a post out last week on Facebook, but you and I were um, an, uh, brainwashed to believe that LDS leaders, those top 15 men and the other folks that are just underneath them, that that is the, um, the top of the mountain as far as wisdom goes. That, that is the uh, grandest of learning that you could take would be to sit at the feet of an LDS prophet or an apostle and to soak in uh, all of the stuff that they've got to say. And as I started deconstructing Mormonism and I began to have thoughts of like, oh, I wonder what other people say outside of the church. And so I would uh, go off and listen to podcasts, the ones that the world said were full of wisdom teachers. And then I started getting books that were written by the people that the world said were uh, wisdom teachers. Richard Rohr, Jack Spong, uh, Rob Bell from Inside Christianity, people like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, uh, folks like Eckhart Tolle, uh, Ram Dass, uh, Alan Watts. Uh, I could go on and on and on and on and on. And what I found was that whatever Mormon wisdom was, it just wasn't that great. And it really wasn't applicable to anything. And when I started reading these great teachers of the world, my mind was blown. I thought, man, there is a lot of good stuff out there in the world how come our leaders don't really have anything super wise to say? And when they do, by the way, they're quoting other poets and other authors, and they really don't have anything original. No, they really don't. And Out this is top. the problem with becoming familiar with outside sources, is that what passes for wisdom and deep uh, statements in Mormonism tends to pale in comparison. Yeah, yep. Yep. Um, the last video I've got is that Bednar one. Do you want to go into any of the things you've got here that tie into this further? Or do you want to do that first? Or how do you? We can do that later if we have time. I did want to make this comment, though, sure. is that 
uh, I think they're saying culture so many times. Well, first off, I don't think that they're saying it as a subliminal message that they think Mormonism is a cult. Okay. I don't think they're saying culture over and over to give that message. Although some people might be getting it being the equivalent of like linking out the word torture in Morse code, trying to get this message out there without actually saying what it is. But I do think that there is a memo and what we're seeing is the effect of a memo going around in Salt Lake City to the leaders of the church that we're going to start talking about culture. And in these talks from last general conference, October, 2020, uh, they never said what it was that they were talking about. And Jonathan Streeter and I were going, what the heck are they talking about? Well, it occurred to me that while I was listening to uh, Elder Holland talk about it, that he's actually giving us a hint into what is meant because he's using it to talk about the idea of getting married young, fast, not living together, right? Because he talks about that too. So what he's really talking about is cultural, no, let me, social issues, all right? So the church has a number of social issues that a lot of members have problems with. Some of them are fine with it. Others are having a lot of problems with it. Many of them are leaving over the church's stance on social issues, whether it relates to women, whether it relates to uh, gay uh, issues, whether it relates to a host of things. People are leaving the church over these kinds of issues. So what it struck me as is that now they're saying, instead of this being doctrine, because that's the way I grew up, this was doctrine. This was straight from God. This is doctrine the same way that anything else that's taught in the LDS church is doctrine. It's fixed, immovable. It's never going to change. But now we seem to see a concerted effort to reframe these issues, the social issues, as cultural issues, that that's the code term that's going to be used by church leaders when they're talking about this. And I don't want to get anybody's hopes up, but there's got to be a reason for this, right? There's got to be a reason behind it. And it seems to me that it's possible, not holding my breath, but it's possible that by reframing these things as cultural issues instead of doctrine, that it may make it easier to change and modify down the road. Yeah, and I think you're onto something. I think the church gets tons of feedback through its surveys that it does. And those surveys, uh, and Jana Reese has pointed to some of that research that's been done outside the church, uh, but it's the same kinds of questions and the same kinds of data. The idea is that the church is well aware that its young people are leaving in much stronger, more significant numbers than its older membership. And everybody's kind of leaving a little bit, right? And this idea that the young people just don't see any value in Mormonism, there's nothing there to hold them. There's nothing interesting. There's nothing, um, there, there's no acceptance of people on the margins and people of diversity. And the church is getting all this feedback and it sees itself losing its younger members. And it's trying to figure out how it, uh, you know, does some repairs on this dilapidated dinghy and uh, plugs mm -hmm. a few holes and uh, tries to get some of this fixed, right? Yeah, and can, say, can I say one other thing? Please. I get the hint that Elder Holland, if you go back and play that whole clip, I'm not asking you to do it now, but people can listen to it, okay? It is on YouTube. Yeah. He says cultural, or a variation of that term, four times in this brief clip where he's talking about this issue. It is as if he knows this is the bullet point that he's supposed to push. Cultural, cultural, cultural. He even says as the world progresses, as the culture progresses, right? As if he remembers, oh, that's the term I'm supposed to be using. 
And I think it's possible that to the degree that this uh, this clip you played, right, about, you know, here's the world and here we are and here's the world and here we are, um, could possibly be a Freudian slip where he told the other part of the memo that he wasn't supposed to say yet while he was busy pushing the culture part of the memo and using that repeatedly, which he was supposed to say. I don't know if that's the case. That's purely speculation on my part. Time will tell. Yeah. And I should say, too, people pointed out that everybody I listed in my list of wisdom teachers were all males. I agree. Let me give you two more to add to that. Brene Brown, anything she says is incredibly useful as a human being trying to be a better human being tomorrow than you are today. Anything she's written, uh, her talks on vulnerability, her talks on shame. The other one I would add is Esther Peril. There's a wonderful podcast, Where Do We Begin?, where Esther Peril is a relationship therapist. Each episode, she sits down with people who are having relationship issues, and she helps them in ways that have helped me and my wife as we've gone off and jointly listen to the same episode, come back that night and talk about the material that she's put out uh, deeply, deeply helpful uh, to my own marriage. And I would suggest it to every one of you. Uh, if you've got a partner, you've got a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, um, you know, whatever that relationship may be, listen to those jointly, come back together uh, and talk about those episodes. You'll see deep growth. Um, anything else before we hit the Bednar conversation here? Only this about you, Mr. Real. Yeah. Is that you run me up and uh, you run me up the flagpole and salute me about all this literature and stuff, right? Yeah. Well, all those names that you've mentioned and all those books you've read, I have never cracked any of them. Yeah. You own the field between the two of us on all these human development and improvement and human relationship books, yeah. which is probably why you're you know light years ahead of me in that regard. And I say that with some degree of seriousness. I appreciate so, that. I'm, I, I was a really shitty human being on the first half of life, very manipulative and coercive and uh, trying to get the world to be the way I wanted it to be. And over the last five years, I've taken maybe longer than that, 10 years, maybe, but five years, really taken seriously, trying to kind of look at myself in the mirror and kind of sit with my own unhealthiness and really trigger, try to figure out ways uh, to be better to my spouse, my children and the people around me. So I appreciate that. Um, thank you very much. Um, anything else before I hit the bednar? Should we go to a baptism? We could go. Let's do it. Uh, you you told me this, the background of this. Uh, let me put that up there. So this is Elder Bednar. Notice there's just an empty, empty, you know. Stake center. Uh, yes, yeah, sac stake center, sacrament chapel. room or whatnot. But um, the chapel, essentially. But your thoughts here. What what was going on here before we get into the soundbite? Well, I did not know where you found this, but I listened to it from the beginning. I didn't listen to every single part of it, but I did listen to it when Sister Bednar was up there. She gets up there first and talks. And at like the 103 mark, she says that they are there. She talks about a baptism of uh, Savannah Bednar, whom I'm assuming is a granddaughter of theirs. And But they're there for a baptism. And I don't know why it's happening this way and why it's being recorded and apparently um, zoomed or put on YouTube or whatever. Where did you find this? So it was sent to me by somebody who had access to it. I don't, I don't know. Why are you smiling when you say that? We, there are moles and sources everywhere. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. Vultures, vultures everywhere. Yeah, so this is Elder Bednar, who's about to tell us how well missionary work is going in the church. Now, 
I want to note on the front side, listen to it with an understanding that he is speaking specifically about online missionary work. I grant that. I still think what he says doesn't add up. And it's a baptism talk. Hopefully. Hopefully it'll come in there. But yeah, um, Elder Bednar, and apparently he's talking to people. It looks like he's talking to people. Let's try something else here. Let's see if I can... it doesn't look like this is being being recorded from a handheld device. It looks pretty stable. All yeah, right, there's me, the beginning. Yep. Let me put the timestamp back on. Professionally produced. It's got a picture of I Jesus and the woman at the well. Knew where we were going to go, and they hurry up and deleted it. But I don't think so. Let's see here. Eleven forty-four. Yeah. Uh-huh. There and here we go. For example, missionaries have been using digital devices in their work for about the last seven years. But the learning of how to use those devices most effectively has been dramatically accelerated in the last 14 months. I could tell you about a nation in the world where before the pandemic, they had approximately. By the way, notice the same thing the church always does. They tell you there's some place, but they won't tell you where because they don't want you fact checking them. So there's that. Two or 3,000 social media reporters of people to teach. Now, in a month, tens and scores of thousands. 14 months ago, the missionaries would say, boy, how do we find people to teach? The question is, how do we teach all these people we've found? It fundamentally changes the dynamic of missionary work. Instead of missionaries trying to find people to teach, Seekers of truth seek out the church and the missionaries teach them. It seems incredibly strange that a young man or a young woman would go to serve a mission and sit in the apartment. And they teach more now than they've ever taught in many of the missions. Not every single one, but many of them. Everybody in this church has been taught forever that it is most effective when you have members who are fellowshipping and helping members as they're new members as they're learning about the gospel. Try that in Tokyo. Try that in Moscow, where to try to get to somebody's home in the city of Tokyo can take you hours. It's just a challenge to make that work. Now you can zoom in. You can be there for 15, 20, 30 minutes. The work is accelerating. We had to close. He just jumped the shark. The, the work is accelerating. All right. Let me first a few things. He, he mentions that in one month in places where they used to get two or 3,000 referrals for a year, now in one month they get tens and scores of thousands. Now, I don't know what the hell that sentence means. I, it means tens and twenties of thousands. Yeah, but it's a weird. Isn't the score twenty? I understand the scores, but when okay, you say I think it is. and scores of thousands. Yeah. It's like you're separating those, and I don't know what the final number is. Um, he also says over the last fourteen months, let's just grant it. Missionaries have not been going out door to door because there's a pandemic going on. For crying out loud, they have to stay in. You and I would be betting money, sure as hell, that the number of online investigators and the number of online teaching appointments would have increased during those fourteen months. Correct. 
Well, yeah, because they weren't doing that before. They were actually going out and knocking on doors. Yeah, so he he, he says it like it's some kind of grand prophecy being uh, some kind of grand miracle happening. And the reality is when you tell all the missionaries they can't go outside and they need to stay in and teach people from inside their home over the Internet, sure as hell that number is going to go up in terms of online teaching appointments. Yeah. Well, yeah. this whole part about accelerating the work uh, is hastening to the idea of God will hasten the work in its time, which we hear over and over, and it's from the scripture, right? Right before the second coming, things are going to speed up. It's going to be going lickety-split. Everything's going to be happening really fast. It's going to accelerate, and then boom, Jesus comes, and it's curtains for all the bad people, all the non-Mormons, right? Um, but that's why he's talking about it accelerate. This is why he has to say this, because it's part of the narrative that they are continuing to spin, it has to be accelerating. It has to be getting faster. It has to be getting better. And more and more people are being taught. Now, baptisms would indicate that more and more people are not being baptized. But facts are over here. And here's the message. And that's what I think Elder Bednar is doing. And he's doing it at, at a baptism for a granddaughter, apparently. I'm not sure what his audience is or why he chose to speak about this. Yeah, it does seem strange. You and I did an episode a few weeks ago where we showed that the numbers of people joining the church and members, uh, children of record, have gone drastically down, drastically down. So when he says the work is accelerating, he must be talking about the work of ex-Mormons and critics because that's the only work that I think is growing. That's the new stone cut out of a mountain without hands is, is in fact – Folks like you and me helping people have the information to deconstruct this thing and take their dignity and walk out the front door. Well, yeah. And when he says, I mean, if it's, I don't know, Nigeria, if it's uh, uh, Canada, if it's Mexico, if it's Guatemala, I don't nation. care where it is. We're not, we're, not, shh, we're not saying what nation. I know. And that immediately makes my ears perk up because when he says, I could tell you about a nation in the world. Well, why don't you tell us about the nation in the world? Why don't you tell us what nation it is, where it's growing by, what was it, tens and scores of thousands yeah. of contacts, was it, that he was talking about there? Yeah. When the missionaries came to my house and they taught me the discussions, they were there for like an hour at least for each appointment. And they were teaching the, the six discussions, and those discussions were full of claims, uh, and those missionaries had lots of stories to add to it. I, I got to believe the only reason Elder Bednar refers to these appointments being 15 or 20 minutes long is if you take out all the bullshit, then you're not really left with a whole lot, are you? It is a, it is a strange thing. I don't know what, what exact permutation the missionary program's do? at. What? Do you ever do a 15-minute teaching appointment? No, only if you're slammed for time and there's a train coming in Japan. <laughs> what? Yeah. But they've got to catch, right? Yeah. Yeah, only then. And then you would, you know, t teach a quick um, – uh, Joseph Smith first vision account and try and make a return appointment. Yeah. But uh, no, 15 minutes. That's a little bit interesting that Hell, he goes there. It takes 15 minutes just to say the quote during this time of great excitement. My mind was called up to serious reflection and great uneasiness. And though my feelings were deep and often point that whole thing there took 15 minutes. You know, I actually memorized that whole thing before I went on my mission only to get called to Japan. I never went on a mission and I memorized it to RFM. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're a better man than I am too. Yeah. We might've been the only two who memorized it before their missions. Oh my, I'm sure there were more than that. By the way, by the way, when you're talking about the growth of the church, 
it occurred to me the other day, I think you were talking about it uh, in some context. And all of a sudden, this idea popped into my head. Now, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a statistician. But it occurred to me that if we're looking at the number of missionaries, right, which, uh, you know, everybody's looking at the number of missionaries after the surge, you know, and during the surge and before the surge. And where is it? And is it 100,000 like Elder Holland had predicted it would be by this point in time? And no, it's not. It's far short of that. But it's certainly gone up from where it was in 1979 when I left on my mission. When I left on my mission in 1979, according to the official church audit report, there were 29,454 missionary serving. By the way, I was one of those. I'm going to write this down. 29,454. Okay. You can, you can write this at home as, if yep. you want. Yeah, there's some math to come here real quickly, folks. It's almost 30,000. You can round it up to that. Let's do that and make it easy. Okay. And at the time, the number of total members of the church was 4,439,000. Say that again. 4 million. Yep. 4, 439,000. That's the total number of members of the church at the time. Okay. And what occurred to me was that, you know, if missionary numbers are remaining constant, then all things being equal, they should maintain the same ratio or percentage relative to the total number of members of the church. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if I did my math right, that looks like it's maybe 6.7%. Does that sound right? I think it's 0.66 or possibly 0.67% okay. of total membership were on missions. Yeah. I'm not sure it's a, I'm not sure if it's a full percent. By the way, once again, I went into law because I stink at math. Yeah. Uh, but I get 0.66%. Okay. Okay. And regardless, it's going to be a ratio. So it's not going to make any difference as long as we keep them even. Um, yeah. But now in 2020, we have the official report out. And now the total number of missionaries is 51,819. Yes, that's 51,819 is the number of missionaries in the field at the end of 2020. We just got that report. And the total number of members of the church now is 16 million, comma, 663, comma, 663. Same three digits twice. 16, comma, 663, comma, 663. So it's 16,663,663 members of the church. And when I do the same math on that, I find that the number of missionaries related to the number of members is what? What do you get for that, Bill? I get uh, 3.1. You're not going to see it there, but 3.1%. Right. And like I said, I have 0.31%. Okay. But either way, what I see then is that the number of missionaries as a percentage of total church membership has dropped by more than half since 1979. Yeah, let's think about this. So what that would mean is <clears throat> if your number's right, if it's 0.31%, that would mean that out of every 100 members of the church, one third of a human being would be on a mission. That means it would take about 300 members yeah. to have one missionary out. Now that makes sense because I go back to my ward in Ohio and that's about what it was. Yeah. Uh, we On our roster, we had about 400 people and we had about a person or two out a year. <clears throat> so instead of 0.67% or two thirds of a human being per hundred, we're now down to one third of a human being per hundred on a mission. 
Right. Or you could look at it as basically it went from more than six per thousand, six missionaries per thousand members in 79. Yep. To three members out of a thousand today. Yeah. Are on missions. What does that tell you? That would that would tell me that the today we have less faith, dedication, less willingness, less motive and reason, and probably a combination of those things. Right. And this is also where the church's overinflation of its total membership numbers comes back to bite them because uh, as we've talked about before, the 16 and a half million does not really reflect the number of active members in the church. But then again, back in 1979, the 4,439,000 probably had its own problems in that regard. So yeah. I can't tell you what it is, but these are the numbers that the church uses and therefore, I think it's fair to use them in order to make this calculation. And what I'm saying is in the last 40 years, missionary service has dropped by more than half in the LDS church using their statistics. Yeah, that is that is amazing. It, that, what that means is that a lot more of us inside or outside the church have become lazy learners. <laughs> yeah, the lazy learners are the one who tend to not go on missions or maybe come home early. Yeah. So there you go. You've got a lack of faith going on there. Um, I, I am I, I am always astounded, and it's happened a few times here recently. I'm always astounded that these guys want to continue. And by the way, maybe we should give a, the listeners a little inside information on our conversations. I've always, in the last, say, year, for sure, and maybe mentioning it here or there the year before and year before that, mentioned that I really think these top 15 are in on it, that they know that this is a deception and that the fraud is intentional. And you've always pushed back. You've always said, no, nah, these are good guys. They, they, I think they think the church is true. They, they're trying to figure out all this stuff. When, when you constantly tell your audience that you're growing, your missionary work is vibrant, things are going well, the church has never been stronger. And the reality is the numbers are going down, 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 down. I can't see that any other way than being deceptive and dishonest intentionally thoughts. Oh, well, I, I agree with you. I think they're being deceptive and dishonest intentionally, but the reason they're doing it is because they do believe that the LDS church is true and they believe they have to engage in this deception in order to promote it and keep members active and engaged. Yeah. So that may be the case. Um, but there we are. That's it. Do you have do you have anything else you want to go into, or do you want me to put the uh, phone number up? Actually, there is a couple. Of, oh, another thing. But by the way, in this case, I'm a better man than you are. Tell me that. Tell me what the, what that means. What are we What are we pointing to? Your math? No, no. About me being more charitable in my interpretation of the leader's motives. You. That is true. You were definitely more charitable. Um, I One really thing. struggle to see these guys being. Um, being honest about the way they handle the church, it really feels like an intentional fraud, intentional deception to me, both in Joseph Smith's day, by the way, Brigham Young's day, and as well as the modern church today. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are the things you got for us? Um, yes. Okay. So there were just another couple of comments. We're not going to go into a bunch of other things that I found in this talk. Maybe we can talk about that some other time. But there are a couple of brief comments that Elder Holland makes which lets you understand how bad things are with the young adults. In other words, how many young adults are leaving the church and they're having problems like nobody's business. Now we already understand that 
is the case. What's interesting to me is how Elder Holland sort of slips on a couple of occasions and communicates that to the audience as well. So do you have that, um, oh, that uh, young single adult devotional up there? Camp. Yep. Young adult Europe and Africa area devotional with Elder Holland. What's the timestamp you want, my friend? 38.04 to 40.30. So this is about a minute and a half. Listen it and see if you can hear the telltale signs. There's two of them here. Um, actually, there's one of them here, and then Elder Webb's going to talk about how the church is growing like, you know, incredible. But Elder Oaks will give one thing. Uh, he's going to say, I'll just tell you in advance, he's going to say in church headquarters, you know, they've been talking about single adults more than they have in the last few months than they have at any other time in history. And he'll mention his concerns about them as well. With the number of questions, we can answer all of them. Uh, we're going to try to answer a few uh, cross-section, uh, and we hope that they'll be of uh, value to you, that uh, the answers we give will be satisfactory. But we haven't rehearsed these, and we haven't assigned them. Hey, Bill? Uh, well, we're just going to talk. Yeah. Bill, and is this at 3804? That was started at 3804. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> hope that you'll pray with us and think about it, and ultimately, ultimately seek the answers to your own questions. Uh, that's a fairly important principle in the church uh, that, uh, that we would remind you at this age, young single adult congregations, that we don't always have to. So the timestamp you've got in the outline, RFM, is 3745 to 3804. No, I wanted to start at 3804 for this one. We're skipping that other one. Okay. So this will be from 3804 to 4030. Okay. Okay. Someone else for an answer to our questions as we become mature in the church, in the gospel, we can uh, seek the Lord, study the scriptures, uh, pray and fast and, uh, and find the answers that we need. But you've asked great questions, and we're going to try to answer some of them. Here we go. Brother Webb, we'll let you start. Uh, one of the first questions that was asked was, do young single adults make a difference in the church? Uh, are they having an impact? I thought that was a great question because we we talk at headquarters a lot about young single adults, more, more in the last few months uh, than I can remember almost at any time. So we, we have concerns and great hopes for the, for the uh, young single adults. Uh, how do you see it? Both with your yeah, your institute hat on, but also just as uh, an administrator in the church and a stake president. Okay, so that's enough for there. We don't have to go on much further. But you notice he talks about we've been talking about young single adults, young single adults more in the past few months or four months than we have ever before that. Now, why would that be? Because they're leaving in droves, RFM. They are they are leaving and never looking back. They are stepping away from the church and going and taking their life back. And God bless them. Uh, God bless everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he talks about our concerns for them and our hopes, right? Concerns and hopes. Uh, he leads with concerns. So that's one thing. We don't need to go into his answer, even though he's going to really gild the lily when talking about church uh, growth and acceleration and the kind of stuff we've heard before. If you can now go to timestamp 42.29, and this will go to 43.36. 
So this is just a little bit over a minute. And listen to Elder Holland again, talking about how he's worried about the young single adults and what a force for good they can be, but some of them just aren't quite there yet. Truly, I, uh, I've been a general authority, third, this is my 32nd year. And in that period of time, that's more than three decades now, in that period of time, I think I have, I don't know whether worried about is the right word, but I've it's the right word and, and wondered about this question and these kinds of responses and wondered if the young single adults themselves understood what a power, what a force they, they are, can be, uh, but in some cases aren't yet, um, to have return mission. You mentioned return missionaries, Chad have returned missionaries come back, they're endowed, uh, they're fresh, uh, they're, uh, they're, they've got energy, they've got freedom, relative freedom. Um, I think we're just sitting on a, on a magnificent source that isn't quite moving yet the way that it ought to be, that it can be. Uh, and, and when we do see it, when we have seen it, it's just magnificent. I, okay. uh, that's a good question to start with. And I that's fine. That is about the most damning language I could imagine him copying to in a public, uh, I think, live podcast. I think if it were not live, he might have gone back and had some editing done and deletions made. Yeah. My, my first thought <clears throat> is if they want to help young people stay, I'd just stop lying. I'd stop saying Bonnie Cordon's poor. I'd stop pretending missionary work is going through the roof. And I, I and I do like the admittance, you know, the church is church is here, and we're going to be we're going to be there, and the church is, and we're going to be like I like that. That's some honesty. I I applaud that. But it's funny because the critics have been saying that for a long, long time. The church is always thirty or forty years behind. As soon as you admit that you play from behind all the time, you can start to actually catch up. Yeah, I think that may have been honesty, but it was inadvertent honesty. <laughs> It was accidental. They don't. They are not honest intentionally. It was accidental honesty. I get. Elder it. Holland was was inadvertently honest. Yeah. Honor laid in his path, and he tripped over it. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Yep. You got it. <laughs> right. Sorry, it's a Shakespeare thing. No, no. I I get I get the reference. I just don't know where it's from. <laughs> what's going on there? Oh, I think it's uh, I'm, it's one of the Henry the Fourth, and I'm I'm going to guess part two. It could be part one. Okay, any other points you want us to hit on? Uh, I think that that is it, me, amigo. We've gone through that. There are so many other things that we could talk about, but that would be belaboring the point, I think. It is 629. I think we should open up the lines. Or excuse me, the line. The one line. People have complained they can't get through, and other people get through every show. Uh, Roger, I'm talking about you. And every, you know, so everybody, if you want to get in, please call. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to call. It is 435, the area code of Southern Utah, 200-3478 or 435-200-FIST. Yeah. So we'll just kind of wait here to see if a call comes in. Um, I do find, you know, you listen to this stuff. You It gets old to me in the sense that these guys are continually lying. They're always distorting reality. They're always distorting the data. They're always pretending things are better than they are. I, I think if they want to just take a cue from us, it, maybe just try honesty. Try being frank with the members. Try being open and honest about the mistakes you've made. 
And you know what? Probably a few more people are going to leave. But then all this pain and anxiety kind of subsides and you can start to build something real. Yeah. Honesty. It's such a lonely word. It, yeah. such <laughs> It is for them because there's not a guy in the room doing it. <laughs> oh. oh, any uh, any other thoughts on kind of what's going on in the church recently? Um, any thoughts from last week's episode or anything else you want to kind of hit on as I'm kind of waiting for a call or two to come in? No, but I got a bone to pick with you. Please, real. Pick some bones. Last week, I am serious. We're talking about a serious subject. I am dressed serious. Yeah, Lee. and I wear my family pawn shirt, and, and I'm serious too. And we've got some important people on the show who I am interviewing and asking questions and being serious. And then all of a sudden in the middle of it, you flash up a comment from a listener saying that it looks like I am living in Wayne Manor. It looks like you're living in Wayne Manor. Or it looks like my office is in Wayne Manor or whatever it was, but it was Wayne Manor. And I glanced down, I see that. And then I don't know if anybody noticed it. I think I covered it pretty well, but I can see myself on the screen, right? On my computer. Oh, I bit the inside of my lower lip as hard as I possibly could. I almost started crying. It hurt so bad. But I think I managed to not laugh out loud at that. And then I told you about it later and you laughed and you said what? Uh, I don't remember what I said. Tell me what I said. That you meant to do that. (laughs) You're going to see if you can make me laugh. Yeah. I, I certainly put comments up knowing that you read them. I read them too. And some of them kind of give me a giggle. I like the ones that are complimenting you. And if someone's complimenting me, I'm putting it up. But once in a while, one comes across that is, oh, we've got a call right now. Give me call a from. Okay. I've sent the caller voicemail. Ooh. Goodbye. Uh, I'm going to call them back. I'll, uh, let me do that for a moment. But I don't know if you've got something you can kind of say for two seconds. Yeah, I'll just talk. Okay, perfect. That's Go what for I it. do. So anyway, we had a great time at the uh, uh, retreat visit to Southern Utah. Got to meet a lot of great people. Some local celebrities showed up. I was very surprised to see uh, Brenda Vaccaro was there. I hadn't seen her in forever since she was on like shows, TV shows back in the seventies. Richard Attenborough was also there. I haven't seen him since Jurassic Park. And um, I think Joan Jett even showed up. So there's lots of very famous people. I was astonished that they were actually listeners to the program and hopefully now Bill Reel's ready to go. Yeah, we've got a caller. I think the name is Brenton. Brenton, you're on the air, Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Reel. What are your thoughts tonight? Yeah, thanks, Bill and RFM. I really appreciate your guys' show and uh, watch it every week. Uh, And I really like how you guys have been doing a lot with the statistics. And so the conversation tonight actually reminded me of the the one you had a few weeks ago. And I I was inspired by that. I actually went back and looked at um, all of the church uh, statistical reports every year for the last like 30 or 40 years here. And um, I don't think there's too much that I I noticed other than what you guys have said. But um, one thing I noticed is as I went back in time, um, there seemed to be more information. And and as I went back further and back in time, there's there's more information every year that's reported. In fact, back in the 70s and 80s, they even reported, you know, uh, the number of deacons, teachers, priests, elders, 70s, high priests, like dead and living endowments and seminaries and people assisted by LDS social services and things. I just thought that was something interesting to bring up with uh, how the church is becoming less and less transparent as time goes on. Uh, Really, thanks for everything you guys do. Perfect. I'll hang up with you and uh, we'll respond to that. Thanks. 
let me say something first. And then I got one other caller here that tried to call and got voicemail. If I'm switching screens, it doesn't, the sound doesn't come through. Um, we showed that it looks apparently clear that the churches, even as the numbers are going down, it's being dishonest about those numbers. It doesn't seem to be reporting excommunications, for instance, in those numbers. It seems to be still counting those people, uh, which we showed through the data. What do you make of the fact that these guys keep bragging about this thing as growing, it's bigger than ever, we're stronger than ever, as Elder Cook has said, and yet the faith of our members, because of the drop in the number of people serving per thousand missionary, the number of missionaries out has dropped, the number of children of record has dropped, the number of convert baptisms have dropped, all to some degree drastically. What are your thoughts about why they, I mean, again, you kind of said it already, but do you think they'll start to be honest and start to report honest numbers? Well, only when they have to, only when they're compelled to. And I don't mean by their conscience or Jiminy Cricket. I mean when they are forced to in some meaningful way. Uh, it's not like we haven't seen this kind of thing before. It happens. It happens in companies. It happens in nations. It's similar to 1945 Germany uh, from Berlin Radio broadcasting that they're still winning the war even though the allies are on the outskirts of Berlin. It's the kind of things that you've got to broadcast to keep the troops rallied and ready to fight, even if it is in a hopeless cause. And the people who are broadcasting it know it. That's not the point. The point is to make sure that the people think that they're winning. Yeah, there's the quote, we're only as transparent, we're as transparent as we know how to be. But here, as Matthew points out, the church is only as transparent as it has to be. Yes. And that's actually much closer to the truth. Right. Uh, our next caller is Christian. Christian, you are on Mormonism Live. Thank you for calling. You're on with RFM and Bill Real. What are your thoughts tonight? Good afternoon, guys. Thanks for letting me on. Thanks for doing this episode. Honestly, myself broke in December of 2020, and the cultural issues were one of my biggest hangups. I could not understand why a religion that was supposed to be led by Jesus Christ, who had no problem calling out cultures, that were toxic or terrible in his day would be 30-something years behind the rest of society today. And when I hear those talks from the brethren, it just makes me go, wow, they really don't get what the problem is for so many of us. A church that teaches about loving, about accepting everybody, that there's good in everybody, being 30 years behind is not acceptable. We should be out in front and encouraging the world to change and to join us being the leaders. So I'll hang up and uh, listen to what you guys have to say. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I'll let you respond, RFM, and I'm going to try to call one of these callers back. Okay. I think it's just fantastic that a Christian actually called the show. It is strange to me. And this is one of the things that struck me about John DeLynn on Friday night down there in St. George at that restaurant parking lot is that this is how um, followers of Jesus, I would expect, would act. Now, I'm not saying that John DeLynn is perfect, okay? But I'm saying at this one parking lot, at this one time, at this one place, right? That one evening, he was a lot better person than I was. And he was much more Christ-like than I was. And he was actually acting the way that I would like to think Mormons would act. But I haven't seen them do it that often. I'm sure I've seen it. And usually when a member of the LDS church, a Mormon acts that way to another person, there's always the ulterior motive. And the ulterior motive is to get him a copy of the Book of Mormon, to have him meet up with the missionaries or whatever. There's always something else at play 
where we're pushing or wanting to sell or be a good example. I edited your uh... of Mormonism. Sorry, uh, I don't know what happened there, but uh, are you ready to go, Bill? Yeah, no sweats. We've got a okay. caller, Miles. Uh, Miles, you're on Mormonism Live with Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. What's on your mind, my friend? Hi. Um, <clears throat> I heard a rumor, and I thought I'd just run it by you guys and see what you think. It's not true. The rumor is. I was you, never there. I was uh, not even near there. With the LGBTQ thing, um, not allowing them to get married in temples, is eventually they're just going to remove marriage from temples and only allow sealings to happen. So they'll say everyone has to get married outside of the temple. And then if you want to get sealed, you can get sealed inside the temple. Have you ever heard of this? And what do you think of that? That's yeah. my question. Yeah, Thanks. we'll hang up with you and we'll respond to that, okay? Sounds good. Thanks. Perfect. So uh, I've heard that multiple times. In fact, I think it's on my list of things that I predicted will come to pass uh, that are my source on the inside. You actually have a source for that, I understand. Yeah, I have a source for that. It's a well-played source. Yeah, it's very well-played. And uh, so my sources said that they've also talked about that many times and have come really close to putting it into, into uh, actual fruition. Uh, this idea that marriages will just be completely removed from the temple, as the caller said, you'll get married before, and then, uh, and then you'll end up going to the temple some other day and, uh, and be able to kind of get your ceiling done, but it'll be a separate thing from marriage so the church can get out of the marriage business altogether. Hmm. And are you going to take that call there, Bill? Okay. So, yeah, I had not heard that rumor before. I'm not as hooked into the rumor mill as Bill Real is and as uh, Miles apparently is. But, you know, that makes sense. If the time comes when uh, the law is changed such that a church has to perform marriages for okay. people who are gay and that's being enforced upon them, then I could see this as a... Uh, a clever gambit to get out of it by saying, okay, everybody now is going to be married outside the church. We're not going to get involved in the marriage business because we're not going to be doing gay weddings and then separate it from the ceiling that goes on inside the temple. And then why could anybody complain if we're not, not uh, marrying gay people, not, not marrying gay people, uh, but we are only sealing heterosexual people so it's not a marriage it's a ceiling and therefore it's okay yeah by the way just a little data point there below if you look uh bonnie carden this again is just allegedly bonnie carden's home is an eight thousand square foot home and valued at 1.7 million so somebody did some research i would love the source for that will if you've got that i would be happy to put that up in the show notes because i think that proves the point uh, if that's the case, um, it should well, also she, be noted. She's land that, poor. She's got all her money stuck in her house. That's why she doesn't have any money. There you go. She's land poor. Right. Yeah. So um, the other thing I've heard, too, and, it, and this makes sense, by the way, I, I would almost guarantee this is the case. But the church can't do family history work forever. Those names have all been done. And so I've heard rumor from multiple sources that uh, the church now just recycles names. And then once that temple gets done using those names, it sends it on to the next temple. Then they use that same list of names. That way, if you're there at the temple a lot, you're not coming across the same list over and over. And you just keep moving it around. Um, and that makes perfect sense because there's only so many names you can do. And when you understand family search, they've essentially all been done. And the few names that are kind of being added at any given moment, um, and, and as time goes on, the batch of new names will get smaller and smaller 
and smaller, the church is going to have to come up with something for us to do besides temple work for the dead. And really, they've already run out. They just are recycling the names and using them over and over again. Um, let's go to uh, we'll make this our last call. This is Rob on the phone. Rob, you are on Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. Uh, what's on your mind tonight, my friend? Well, good evening, uh, Bill and RFM. I really enjoy your show. Uh, just sit here listening to you. You know, you guys were going back and forth about, you know, you think that they know and they're, the, the leaders are trying to deceive us. And I know, RFM, you said that, you know, you don't believe that's the case, that they really believe. You know, and I, as I did that, I, I was looking at the, I looked up the scripture in, um, in uh, Moroni, you know, where it talks about in chapter uh, 7, verse 16, that, you know, if, if uh, everything which inviteth them to do good and persuade, persuade them to believe in Christ um, is sent forth by God, and therefore you can have a perfect knowledge of God. And that's what I, I've always believed. I, I just think that they've convinced themselves that we are, we are a true church because uh, we're, pers- we're helping people to improve their lives, and we're telling people to believe in Christ, and that's true, and that's good. And I think uh, notwithstanding what they know or doubt or whatever, I think they've convinced themselves that, that what they're doing in- intrinsically is good, and uh, I think... Uh, even if they know things aren't exactly the way they uh, uh, maybe have been presented, like, you know, you know I'm 58. Uh, what I learned about the church when I was a teenager and on a mission is not what I'm hearing about today. But I, I think these guys at the top, I think they've, I think they're dead set on believing that, that they're, what they're doing fulfills that verse. And, and uh, so therefore I'm doing good and, and, uh, I'm not going to fall away from it at this point in his, their lives. But anyway, I'll shut up. Just uh, curious to see what your thoughts are. But I, I personally believe that they do believe what they're doing is right because of that verse, if you really think about it, and um, notwithstanding whatever doubts or like knowledge that they might have. Anyway, I'll shut up. Thanks, guys, and uh, enjoy the show very much. Thank you. It seems his, uh, his idea is essentially that the ends justify the means, right? That there's reason to be dishonest if it keeps the church perceived as growing, helping as many stay in as possible. Uh, what I heard Rob saying was a little <laughs> bit different. Unfortunately, he's hung up, so uh, I get to interpret him. Um, but what I heard him say was sort of like they've lowered the bar to the point where as long as they teach Christ in some form or fashion, then it must be sin of God, according to Moroni chapter 7, verse 16, which you quoted. Um And that certainly may be true. I have no idea. What I do have a good reason to believe is that there is the orthodox narrative of Mormonism and who the leaders are and what they see and who they have um, chicken fried steak dinner with on Thursday afternoons on the fourth floor of the Salt Lake Temple. We have all this understanding of how revelation is received. It's how it is taught to the members of the church. And that as leaders go up through the ranks, and come closer and closer to being in the top 15 and then enter the top 15. Over that period of time, the reality of their experience causes them to change gradually their understanding of those things. And one of the things I'm thinking about is um, Elder Eyring, now President Eyring, who actually talked about 
how it was that he expected one of his first church meetings. And you've got uh, the president of the church there and other apostles. It was some kind of business meeting that was involved in and how he expected, oh, they're going to receive revelation. It's going to be amazing. You know, his light's going to come down and boom, there's the will of God. And he was shocked to find out that wasn't the case. But it was like this was the realization for him, the aha moment that really it's because they discuss it around the table and then they discuss it. And as they discuss it over and over, then all the opinions start to line up until they achieve consensus. And consensus then is the substitute for revelation. Now, my experience is when I understood that, I had a problem with that because it was not what I was taught. It was not what I taught others. And it's not what everybody who's in the pews on a given Sunday hears in the LDS church from the leaders and from the materials and manuals that are approved by the leaders. They still promote this idea. But for Elder Irene, it was an aha moment like, oh, I have now graduated into a more rarefied atmosphere and understanding that this is what really revelation is about and that this is a deeper and more profound understanding. Whereas to me, it looks like a lesser and more pedestrian understanding of what revelation is. And all you're doing is trying to get consensus for whatever idea is on the table. And once you have the consensus, then that means it's revelation. There you go. There you go, folks. I, I don't know if it's working. Maybe again, all you're trying to do is try to keep the, the bath water in the bathtub draining as slowly as possible. Um, but I think this thing has an expiration date at some point uh, because I think all religion is just deeply suffering. And the more we understand science, the more we understand information, uh, and the more old people pass on and new young people who are uh, adept at technology are here. And as those folks age, um, I, I just think that this this thing and all of religions uh, generally get smaller and smaller and smaller. And Mormonism is bound to just suffer from that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts before we close out, my friend? That is it. Except I'm always glad to be here every Wednesday night, same place, same channel. And I'm glad that everybody who's watching is, I hope that if you're liking it and I'm guessing if you're spending time watching it, you are to some degree. Uh, I hope you'll tell some friends about it, whether it's personally, whether it's on Facebook, whatever. And you know, if you got two friends and they tell two friends and they tell two friends and the word gets out there because I've got a feeling that there may be other people out there other than the people who are watching it right now, who might enjoy a little dose of Mormonism live on their Wednesday evenings. You got it, my friend. Until next time, this is Bill Real. And Radio Free Mormon. Have an awesome day. Mormonism live. Better than touching your own little factory.